Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Let me start with a quick question for Nick fans. How y'all living today? I ask because your team just got run out of the playoffs in five games. And whatever you do, Nick fan, whatever you do, do not come up in here and tell me you're so happy with how the season went. Yeah, I know. The team exceeded everybody's expectations. I get that. But be real. When you got into the playoffs, you were not thinking, man, it's just so nice to be here. And yes, we're probably going to get bounced by a lower seed, but it's all good because it's all gravy. We're no longer the laughing stock of the association. We're relevant. It doesn't even matter what happens here. Even if we lose, we're still all good. Man, don't bring that around here because you know you weren't thinking that. You were thinking not that we're just here to take part, but we're here to take over. You were thinking we're going to run right through the Hawks, then we're going to handle the Sixers, and then the real season begins. We punch our neighbors, Brooklyn in the face, and then we focus on the Larry O. Nick Fan, you know that's what you were thinking. Don't come in here and try to tell me otherwise. Don't come in here and tell me, man, it was great. We're so far ahead of schedule, it just feels good to be back. No, you got wrecked at Madison Square Garden last night, and the guy doing the wrecking was your new mortal enemy, Trey Young. And you know what? It was awesome. It was beautiful. And I'm not saying that because I hate the Knicks. I don't. I'm not here, and I'm not saying that because I hate the Knicks. I'm here, and I'm saying that because I love Trey Young. I love his game, but even more than that, I love this guy's swagger. I love this guy's attitude. Like, he wants to put on a show in the garden. He wants to throw on that black hat. He wants to punk you in your own house. And then he wants to let you know about it and rub it in afterwards. Man, and it's an amazing thing to see. This dude is special. He is special. Remember, this is a guy that Nick fans had been riding unmercifully since the first minutes of game one. And how did he respond? He responded with one dagger after another. I mean, there was this moment in game one. Here is Young, finds his spot. Young on the floater, puts it in. Trey Young with a miraculous shot. Hit that shot and then tell the garden to be quiet. And that only enraged Nick fans even more. And then the chance continued. When bleep Trey Young didn't work, they tried to take a run at him for his hair. And then one total idiot spit on him in game two. And if you thought Trey had forgotten about that, then you don't know this guy. Because at one point last night, he mimicked spitting while talking to some Nick fans and appeared to say, quote, are you going to spit on me next? I mean, like, this dude is ice cold, and I love it. Like, this guy's like, is that all you got? Is that it? And honestly, that pretty much was all the Knicks had. They didn't have another gear once they did get to the postseason. That vaunted defense that looked so good in the regular season was getting torched by Trey on a nightly basis. And then they tried to get into his head with stuff like Julius Randle tossing the ball at him, Nerlens Noel giving Trey a shoulder bump on the way off the court at halftime last night. Like, that was going to do anything at all. There's Trey Young. And that is the end. 
of the first half. And there are some words between the Knicks and the Hawks. Reggie Bullock again and Trey Young having words in conversation. Had to be separated now. Noel. It appeared that Young was pushed slightly from behind by Randall. As far as I'm concerned, again, so much in that moment. Like, there's so much to pull out of that moment at halftime. There was Noel trying to do that casual shoulder chip as they passed each other. Like, really slick, Nerlens. Because nobody's going to notice a six foot eleven dude trying to shoulder somebody about a foot shorter. Nobody was going to see that, right? And if you thought that was going to somehow bother Trey, again, you don't know Trey. It didn't. You think this guy gives a bleep about any of that? Hell no. But his teammate, Solomon Hill, did. And he was not having any of that crap. And he hit Noel with a shoulder of his own. And then the two of them got into it. But the worst part about that, from a Knicks standpoint, is, number one, it didn't work. Number two, it showed that they knew they couldn't guard the guy or slow the guy. So they figured they would try to intimidate the guy. And that didn't work either. You know what that was? That was actually like this perfect illustration of what Clint Capella was saying earlier in the week about how the Knicks really are. Push our guys around and talk but uh, we, we can do that too. Uh, and we show them uh, as soon as they, they, they came back here that we, we can push guys around too. Uh, we can talk as well. So what are you going to do about it? And we can get a win with it. So what are you going to do about it? Oh. So we can do that too, and we can get a win. So what you can do about that? What would the Knicks do about that? Answer, nothing. Because they weren't in Trey's head. He was in theirs and their fans. I mean, it got so bad in the fourth quarter, Spike Lee bailed with three minutes to go. It's like a victory cigar for Atlanta. Send the Knicks packing, and then the ultimate Knicks fan with them before that game's even over. But the best moment of all, the finest moment of the entire series came with less than a minute to go in the game. The remaining Knicks fans were admitting defeat, saluting their team, and applauding them for their good effort this season. Most opposing teams at that point would just dribble out the shot clock, hand the ball to the ref, pass it around, maybe see if they can get a guy who didn't score much to get a look at the back bucket. But not Trey Young. <laughs> no, not Trey Young. My man, that's just not his deal. This is his deal. And here comes the standing ovation yes. in appreciation of the next season. As Young fires from away downtown and takes a bow. <laughs> not appreciated. It should be added. Oh, I appreciated it. You can add that. That was incredible. Rayford. Trey Young, legend, cold as hell, nasty as hell, and one of the best things ever. Nick fans had given up. They were trying to acknowledge and salute their players and thank them for a nice run. And this guy's all out here knocking in three-point balls from 30 feet out with a double-digit lead and less than a minute to go, and then he took a bow, and he waved to the fans. Man, you want to talk about a finishing move. You want to talk about a feel-good moment to celebrate your team. How about you ram another dagger in their eye 
and then dump some salt on that wound. Like, I cannot stress this enough. They're on their feet, saluting their fans, and this dude is knocking in a three ball from 30 feet out and then bowing to the crowd. You want to talk about stomping on a team and their fan base when they're down? That was an incredible moment. An incredible NBA moment. No, no. That was an incredible sports moment. And that was not a superstar being born. That was a super villain being born. And I love it. That's exactly what this game needs. A guy who is an elite player, an elite competitor, and a showman. And the fact that he went into the Garden in his very first playoff series ever against the allegedly most hostile fans in the game and cracked them over the head with it is incredible. And again, Nick fan, don't you come in here and get this twisted. I'm not here to hate you. I'm here to love that guy. Knicks fan, you tried everything. You tried your bleep Trey Young chant. You tried making fun of his lettuce. You tried to spit on him. And your team tried getting into his head, and none of it worked. Instead, Trey gets the last laugh and the final bow. This guy's so good. I mean, he is special. And he knew exactly where he was and exactly what he was taking that bow for. I know where we are. I know it's a bunch of shows around this city, and I know what, what they do when the show is over. So that's pretty much what it was. My man, he is the ultimate competitor, the ultimate showman, utterly fearless. So honor this dude, celebrate this dude, and protect this dude at all costs because he is already a bleeping legend. It is the perfect season for a powerful business upgrade with Dell Technologies Summer Sale Event. Save up to 45% on secure PCs built for business with Windows 10 Pro. You'll also find great savings on Dell servers, monitors, docks, and other accessories to help boost productivity. Plus, enjoy free shipping on everything. Do more with modern devices and Windows 10 Pro. Call 877-ASK-DELL for a Dell Technologies advisor who can help you find the right tech. That's 877-ASK-DELL for business specials during Dell's Summer Sale Event. My guest is Ron Rivera. Ron, it is so good to have you on. How are you? I'm doing well, Jim. Thank you. God, it's so good to have you, Ron. So, like, what has the offseason been like, and how great has it been to get back with the team in OTAs? It's been really cool. It really has. You know, you kind of forget what it's like, um, what we had to go through last year, because so many neat things have happened, opening up, being able to be around the guys, being able to hold meetings in person, interacting with them. I mean, it really is cool. It, 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 and, and the other thing, too, is uh, really now just starting to get to know some of the guys even better than, than I did from last year. These are all good things. It sounds great. You know, you go back to Ron, the team and everybody involved went through so many different things last year, and you had a really good season. So I want to ask you, were you surprised by that success? In other words, was that something of an overachievement, or was that about setting the standard? I think it was about setting the standard. Um you, know, you can't control what happens with the other teams other than when you play them. Um, so as far as I was concerned, you know, I thought we, got, we, we started playing better in the second half of the season, which is kind of what you hope for. At least that was what I was hoping for, was to see us grow and develop as a football team. And, and once we kind of got a little bit of momentum and then looking around us and seeing that nobody was running away with the division, you know, I, I basically went to, to the players and said, hey, why not us? So let's focus in. And that's what the guys did. They, they said, why not us? And, 
went after it. Why not us? Ron Rivera, the head coach of the Washington football team, is joining us. Ron, I want to ask you about the way the season started because the team was 1-3, and three, and then you made the change of quarterback, and I could see whereby, if it were another group, maybe they throw in the towel on the season. Your team never did that. How do you explain that? Well, I think the big thing, Jim, is, is the guys were playing well enough to win, and, and, and I think someone felt that, hey, if we could do some things a little bit differently, um, if, if, if something positive could happen, uh, it, it would really kind of help this momentum that we needed. And, and that's really what happened. You know, we changed quarterback. We, 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 we went with Kyle Allen, then Kyle got hurt. And then, you know, um, obviously the, 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 the Alex Smith opportunity came up. And, and when Alex did it, uh, you know, you had a veteran quarterback that knew how to do things, how to get guys involved, how to, how to distribute the ball better. And that was probably the biggest thing, you know, is, is, that, is that the team really kind of started to gain momentum and you could see the development of the other positions um, that was needed badly. You know, then, Ron, when you talk about the development of the other positions, then you can kind of segue into the development of a mentality, the development yes. of a culture. Like, my sense in talking to you in the past is you're never going to be satisfied with just getting to the postseason and not advancing. So how much did last season mean for developing those other things, namely the culture and a new mentality for the organization? It meant a lot, Jim, because, you know, it, one of the things I counted at one point during the season last year, um, you know, in, in, in uh, December, we had 28 guys with first, second, and third year experience playing meaningful minutes. I'm not talking about the last two or three minutes of the game. I'm talking about starting and, and, and playing in the middle of the game when it was important. So they played meaningful minutes, and, and that was huge because the pressure was on us, you know, throughout the year to, to, to win because we had a shot at the playoffs. And I think learning how to win in playoff situations uh, when it was important is going to help us as we go forward. Um, you know, the, the, the mentality developing, that was important, getting the guys to think that, you know, it's not, oh, here we go again. It's not, hey, we still got a chance because, you know, we won a couple of those games in the fourth quarter. So that was another big thing that, that really kind of helped us as we developed through this. Ron Rivera, my guest. Ron, I know that you don't want to make it about you. I just want to take a few moments to make it about you because I'm listening to you right now and your energy sounds unbelievable. You sound great. Last year was remarkable in the sense that what you had to deal with personally, roughly seven months after you were named head coach, you noticed a lump on your neck. When you returned for training camp, you had a biopsy. You learned it was cancer. What do you remember about receiving that news and that day? Well, you know, it, it, it was definitely a punch to the gut. Um, but it, it made me angry. It really, really did because, you know, I really felt there was a lot of positive things that were happening and things were going in the right direction. But to have something like that pop up just kind of made me angry. I mean, I, I had my moments where, where, you know, there was some, some, some fear. But for the most part, I just, you know, I, I, was, I, I was really set on, okay, this is what we're going to do. This is what we got to do. I'm going to listen to the docs. I'm going to do exactly what I'm supposed to just to get through this and, 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 and beat cancer. And that, that's really was the mentality um, and, and I also kind of felt that, you know, as we were going through this um, as an organization, as a team in terms of our development and growth, that, that this would really kind of something to, 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 to build off of as well. You know, because, again, we had Alex Smith who was making the comeback off of the leg injury. And, and you know, he was somebody that the guys could really look at and say, wow, if this guy can work through this, man, so can I. Mm. You know, it's so interesting, Ron, because I've made this point a number of times. I will always make this point. Cancer 
is so insidious that literally everybody listening, I would venture a guess, either knows somebody close to them who's had to deal with that or knows somebody who knows somebody. Like, we've all experienced it on some level. And when you say that you were actually, quote, angry and pissed when you got that word, like, I can remember my father had leukemia. And he fought the thing bravely before he finally lost that fight in the end, but but didn't lose because he always kept fighting. So your reaction yep. that you were pissed is really interesting to me. I'm not sure that people understand, though, the toll that the treatments took on you. The story goes wow. you lost more than 30 pounds. You were battling serious fatigue, yet you just kept on battling and working and grinding. How were you able to do that? Well, you know, the biggest thing was really the team of people around me. You know, my, my, my primary caregivers being my wife, my daughter, and my son – you know, that whenever my son was in town, you know, the three of them would take care of me. If not, it was definitely Stephanie and Courtney. Um, but also our head trainer, our team doctor, our, our coaches. You know, having Jack Del Rio had gone through something like this when, when Coach Fox got sick and had to step up at, at, at times and, and lead the team. You know, having a guy like Jack be around us was outstanding. You know, Scott Turner and, and, and Nate Caxer, our other two coordinators, th- th- those guys really took a lot of load off of me and, and – and, and, so having a quality support system, but also, you know, one of the things I learned too is when you get sick like that, you have to be selfish and you have to take care of yourself. And one of the things that we had was we had a regimen of how we were going to do things. My morning started every day at right around 5, 530, um, and ended every night at about 8, 30, 9 o'clock um, where I, when I would go to bed. I, I didn't work the typical coaching hours. Um, you know, uh, it was it was between 5.30 and 6.30, I, I was so fatigued that my, my daughter would have to take me home. And I would eat, and I'd have to stay up for an hour to make sure the food had digested properly and then go to sleep. Um, but uh, we would do it the next day. Uh, we had set it up when, I mean, our, our, our kitchen crew, they were amazing because um, I needed to eat certain times of the day, and so they always had something that was easy for me to eat and swallow, prepared. Um, I, they, they brought up a Barca lounger, you know, one of those nice little lounge chairs for me, so – um, just before we go out to practice, I could take a 35-minute, 45-minute cat nap and get on the field. So we really had a good regimen going. And i tell you, the support we got, uh, I got from the players was a tremendous thing as well. So there was a lot of good things that, that, that we were doing with a lot of people pulling in the right direction. I really appreciate you sharing that and your thoughts on that and the importance of a routine. Just one more thought, Ron, because you mentioned the players. Jack Del Rio talks about the impact you had on the team. Quote, there are a, a lot of young players that are learning what it looks like to be a man and fight a good fight. And the guy's a fighter, end quote. He said that about you. So when you went through all of that, you're so focused on your routine, the regiment, the treatments, but at the same time, was there a part of you that knew your players were watching and they were inspired yes um and i'll tell you one of the most stark moments i had was when i had my worst day uh during my entire treatments i had just gotten my radiation treatment um and had gotten chemo the a few days before and i had, i was just got back from the hospital and, and i was coming into work and i couldn't get out of the car and so i told Stephen, hey take me around to the backside and, and get RV, you know, our head trainer. And, 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 you know, so I get, you know, cause I had to get an IV treatment. So she drove around back, the head trainer came out and the two of them walked me in arm in arm. Um, and it just happened. There was like about 25, 30 guys that were near the training room, near the weight room as I walked in and it went from all this clutter and noise to dead silence. And I, I got in and, and I was able to get, you know, my, my hydration done, my, my IV done. Then she, she, then they walked me back out, and it was the same thing. As I walked out, it got 
quite, I couldn't, there was no way I could stay and, and work that day on, uh, it was a Tuesday, thank goodness, it was, it was a player's day off, but it was a Tuesday, and, and, and I can just, as I looked up, I could just see the look on their faces, and I just thought, oh, wow, you know. Um, but I think it somehow, it, it, it maybe it did help those guys, and, and, and hopefully they learned something from it. Oh, 100%. That had to galvanize those guys. They had to learn something from that, and that's why I appreciate you sharing that story, Ron, because I know I know there are people listening right now, and there are people dealing with this very thing, and I know they're hearing this, and I know they're inspired. So, again, thanks for that. In terms of the football team, Chase Young, Ron, had an amazing rookie season. You've raved about his personality and the fact that he always wants to be the first one in every workout. Physically, you know how special the young man is, but what has he brought to your team in terms of leadership? You know, there's an energy about him that's an amazing thing, and and, and he's such an upbeat young man. He, he he's 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 always cheering for his teammates. I mean, when one of the defensive guys makes a play, he's one of the first ones there to celebrate. When the offense makes a play, he's right behind those guys, cheering them on, and it's it, it, it's infectious and it, and it inspires his teammates. And and that's why near the end of the year, when you know when we needed a team captain. I, you know, I, I made him the team captain, one of the team captains, because of, of, of who he is and how he handles things and the way he does things. It's just, it's the right way. And, and he's just followed it up by, by taking on that responsibility. And, you know, he, he's, he's just a dynamic young man who's got an infectious personality about who he is. Ron Rivera joining us for a few more moments. Ron, you want to talk about doing things the right way. You also brought in Ryan Fitzpatrick this offseason. What's it been like having him around the team and watching him assimilate the way he has? It was an amazing thing because, you know, here's a guy that's got a tremendous pedigree. He's, he, he's got a great resume in terms of, you know, knowing football, playing football, and, and having a great career. And what's really been neat, though, is watching him, how he handles our young players, the way he talks to them, the way he gives them tips and advice. You know, as an example, the other day, uh, Diami Brown was running around, and he came in and he did this and made a little move. And so our, Ryan went up to him and said, hey, listen, now, Diami, you come, you're going to run that pivot now. If you feel that guy there – don't complete it. Get away from him as quickly as you can, and I'll throw you open. And Diami just kind of looked, and then next thing you know, very next thing happened, the kid ran the route the way he needed to, and, and, and Ryan dotted it on him. And it was one of those things that you can sit there and see the growth. And, 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 and it was just, it was, to me, it was really cool to watch how, how this veteran is helping this young kid out. Right, and it's so easy to see why people love him, why teammates rave about him everywhere he's been. Before I let you go, Ron, let me ask you also about Terry McLaurin. I had him on the show a few months back. Could not be more impressed with him, both in terms of his game and in terms of his maturity and toughness. How important is he to your team, both on and off the field? Oh, he's a heck of a young man. He really is. I mean, he's the kind of guy you want on your team. He's the kind of guy that, that you want on the football field. And, you know, it was important for us to go out and do the things that we did in free agency. And, you know, bringing in Curtis, um, I, I, I think, really has helped us. Because, you know, he and Curtis Samuels play together at Ohio State. They're very close. But they're, they're guys that, that can complement each other because of their speed and their athleticism. And so it's very important that we did what we did because, again, we've got to be able to take advantage of Terry's abilities and create more opportunities for him to get the ball in his hands. And, and that's one of the things that, that, you know, bringing in a guy like Curtis, um, you know, drafting the guys that we did, having the type of offensive players around these guys is going to be important to us as we develop and grow as a football team. Right. And then, Ron, one last thought. You've had so many amazing players that you've, well, played alongside but coached. Two of your former players, guys that I really, really like talking to over the years, Greg Olson and Thomas Davis, both announced their retirements this offseason. Can I maybe get a thought from you about each of them and what made them so special? Wow, you know, it, it's an amazing thing to, to be able to coach and, and play with some of the guys I have. And, 
guys that you know that that that, that have had the types of, of, of careers that, that that merit Hall of Fame consideration. Um, you know, Greg Olson is, is 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 really the ultimate pro. Um, you know, he he's he's a very cerebral football player, understands the game and, and plays it the way that it needs to be played. Um, and, and, and really does deserve a lot of accolades. But more importantly, he's a heck of a man. He really is, you know. Um, he has started this foundation. Uh, he's got a son who's, who, who, who right now is going through a, a very difficult time. He, he basically needs a, a heart transplant. And, you know, Greg has been, um, been one of the leading uh, fundraisers for the, for the uh, Children's Hospital in Charlotte. Um, Thomas Davis is, was, was really the emotional heart and soul of, of, of the teams that we had in Carolina, uh, especially the Super Bowl team. Um, he, he really was. I mean, he's a great football player, tremendous football player, an even better young man. Uh, but he really was. He was He was the guy that was the heart and soul of who we were. And just, again, as I said, being able to coach guys like that has been just one of the blessings of my career. So then finally, when you mentioned your playing career, I'm really curious, Ron, you, you were always the guy. People always looked to you. You were the guy who was the emotional leader. You had that strength. You were such a great player. But when you look at and think about the guys that you played alongside, if I had to ask you to name one or two guys who had that same heart and soul mentality, guys that you'd love going to battle with, guys that you really admired, who comes to mind? Wow, you know, there's there's so many names that did come to mind, but one of my favorite, all-time favorite, and got really the guy that's responsible for me getting into the NFL as a coach is Walter Payton. Um, that, that that was an amazing thing to to be a teammate of his and, and to be around him. But he he was an inspirational man. Um, you know, and then there's the Mike Singletarys, the Dan Hamptons, the the the, the Jimbo Covers. I mean, these guys are Hall of Famers, and 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 Richard Dent. I mean, that that's the amazing thing. But there are so many other guys like Steve McMichael and Gary Fensick and you know, Matt Suey and Jay Hilgerberg. I mean, the list could go on and on, but the, the guys I played with that I was able, fortunate enough to call teammates um, really were just tremendous people. Big-time talent, big-time character and toughness. He is the head coach of the Washington football team. He is a two-time NFL Coach of the Year, a Super Bowl champion as a player, and again, Washington is going to open up against the Chargers on September 12th. Ron, so good to hear your voice, so good to have you back on this show, and I really do appreciate the conversation. Ron, thanks so much. No, you're welcome, Jim. Always good to talk to you. A different future starts with you. That's why GoDaddy does more than help you find a name. You can create, sell, and get found online. So any small business could be a driving force to create change or build an empire. We know old ideas aren't cutting it anymore. So we're calling for a new generation of thinking. Your way of thinking. So whatever you have in mind that will help make a different future, find everything you need to get started at GoDaddy.com. Because the future isn't decided yet. It's up to us to make it happen. Start different at GoDaddy.com. As the smack off, the countdown to it continues, so do our player profiles. And now it's just 22 days and 16 shows left. I am going to swing the treatment right back to the state of Wisconsin for the second time. There is a lot of representation in the great state. I let off with Benny and Wisco last week. Today, Caleb in Green Bay gets the treatment. Caleb in Green Bay a six-time smack-off participant. He's got two third-place finishes on the stat sheet. A guy who I've been championing for years as this generation's Terrence and Sierra Madre, a.k.a. the best to never win one. Sidebar, Terrence, you're welcome to participate, my man. I don't know what your smack level is like. I don't know the, the last time you actually heard the program. But Terrence, there is a golden ticket for you. All you have to do is call up and claim it. You don't even have to earn it. You've already done that. Just call up and claim it. But back to this cat, 
this cat really is the Terrence of this generation, the best who never win it. It's the type of handle that comes with a grip of baggage generally because it's a reminder both of how good you are, but a reminder also of you have not won the big prize. And with each passing year, it becomes a bigger question mark as to whether or not it's going to happen, right? So now we're getting to that point where Benny and Wisco and Rick and Buffalo might start to take issue with it and take additional flack because these dudes are right there every single year. They're right there every single year. And in some cases, I might say it's not a question of if, but a matter of when. But you wonder, right? If the BIC is not going anywhere and left's not going anywhere and these guys are playing the game at the same time, are they going to get theirs? Will Caleb get theirs? Now, there's also an argument to be made that you can be great without ever having won one of these things. You know that whole thing about sports? Yeah, you can't be great unless you have a strap. You can't be great unless you have a ring. It's not true. I mean, would anybody say Charles Barkley is not great? He has no ring. By that same token, just having a ring does not make you great. There's a lot of scrubs walking around with rings that had nothing to do with winning that ring. So it's not that simple. I'm going to say with Caleb, he hasn't won yet, but you can't say he's not a great caller because he is. He's smart. He's funny as hell. He's got a lot going for him. Unfortunately, last year at SmackOff 26, one of those things that he had going for him was not his phone. It wasn't smart because it sucked a lot of the funny out of the call. Like, of the five minutes that he did last year, I'm only able to salvage maybe 40% or 40 decent seconds from playback. But you can hear the potential as Caleb threw it all the way back to the JRIB days. Welcome. What is up? Thank you for tuning into the program. I've got a tremendous Friday call for you. My name is Caleb in Green Bay, and here is what I am burning on. Anybody can write a Mike and Indy call. All you need is a dictionary, a pair of scissors, and a baseball cap. Just cut out a few random words, toss them in, swish them around for a few seconds, and voila. My call last year was so radioactive, Aaron Rodgers took a rhinoceros to the pharmacy. My call last year was so bedazzled, Jason LaCanfora played Monopoly at a birthday party. Mike, nobody understands what the hell you're talking about. Hey, Matt and Van, I love that line about there being 200 countries in the world and 180 of them are free. I liked it better when you said it two years ago. Who steals lines from themselves? What do you do when you cash your paycheck? Put a gun to your head? Call yourself and demand a ransom? All right, I want to thank you for tuning into the show. Around the Horn is next. I will see you on Monday. I am out. All right, so really too bad that he was on a horrible line because that could have been a classic. Instead, he ends up number 10, barely hitting the board. Now, Caleb is not afraid to take some risks and try different things. He once called as Rick in Buffalo, the camp counselor. He had his mom appear in a smack-off. He RSVP'd as Buffalo Bill from the Silence of Lambs. Oh, that's what I'm talking about. Some mood music for the defending champ. Now he's feeling it. Then left takes off his suit. And no, not his new David August dress. I'm talking about his custom Jim Rome suit that he got straight out of Buffalo Bill's basement. He puts on a little lipstick, maybe some mascara, sensually grabs the microphone, stares at Alvin Deloro and says, Would you rack me? I'd rack me. 
I'd rack me hard. I'd rack me so hard. <laughs> so there was also the time where he pretended to host a radio show while he was on my radio show. And, of course, his smack-off call where he flashed back and made a call that you would hear in 1995. I would never miss the first annual Great American Smack-Off. I knew that 1995 was going to be all that and a bag of chips, so I'm going to hit this competition harder than Natron means business up the middle on first and goal. Let's get after it, Jim. You know why I take a lot of scuds? Because I get a lot of scuds. And you know this better than anyone. There is a long, long line of callers waiting to take a swing at me like I'm a pinata full of welfare checks, spouting the same unoriginal takes, fat, virgin, lives with his parents. But it just goes to remind everyone that your listeners are not clones of you. They're clones of each other, clogging up the phone lines, jamming up the fax machine day after day for years on end. Would it shock anybody when you open up the fish wrap and see they finally caught the Unabomber? He won't be living in some shack in Montana. He'll be like a mechanic in Escondido wearing an extra sport 690 t-shirt and asking the feds for a drug test drop. Crown Wisconsin. Huge! Like, this kid is clever. Really clever. you got to pay really close attention or you're going to miss the bit. He's never going to explain his angles or his jokes before he does them. He just expects you to understand. He expects you to figure it out based on how much he's giving you. Like, there was no way he was going to stop his 2019 smack-off call and reset the Jason Avon parody and ruin the big reveal. So instead, he just rolled with it as a nice carrot to longtime Jungle listeners. And remove your cap for the singing of our national anthem. Caleb and Green Bay, he's the man. Caleb and Green Bay's got great smack. Caleb and Green Bay says, I want to win the smack off, yeah. Caleb and Green Bay's a great, 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 great caller to the jungle. Such a great moment. Like, he's got a really good way of rewarding longtime listeners. He's constantly honoring the history and the legacy of the show through really imaginative resets. You can almost argue that he's too smart for his own good. That his stuff sometimes misses the mark because it's a little too inside and not straightforward enough. However, he will get his hands dirty. And he will go for the classic smack just like everybody else. Don't believe me? Ask my guy Rick in Buffalo. Rick, you said yesterday you wanted to start a charity drive to get my stomach stapled. But at least I can do something about my physical deformity. I was going to start a GoFundMe to fix yours. But I don't know how much stilts go for these days. But I guess at least we know why his voice is so chalky. It's because he eats handfuls of Flintstones vitamins to try to catch up to his students. And this is all irrespective of his garbage phone calls. Rome, think of it this way. Of all the brilliant callers you've had in the past, I Frady, Doc Mike, Sean, Brad, Josh in Detroit, I mean, not only the greats, but the ones the greats aspire to be. But the guy who currently sits atop the jungle power rankings with his little baby legs dangling over the edge has never uttered a more clever phrase than, Caleb is fat. You friggin' moron! I can't comprehend how this guy is so popular, Jim. I will never understand it. Listen, I don't want to say that Caleb has the misfortune of coming along at the same time as Brad and Lef, or the misfortune of saying he's just the right guy at the wrong time, in the wrong era. You know, the era where two guys have evenly split the last six titles. I really don't want to say that, 
because I really do believe that Caleb's got the game to beat anybody and everybody. It's me. It's me. It's that K-A-L-E-B. Rome Matt in Vancouver just said I couldn't win the smack off because I look like a porta potty in a camo hat. Pretty rich that he thinks I wear camo when he's the one who's so unnoticeable we literally forgot he was even in the field. I heard Rick and Buffalo's call yesterday, which is funny because I wasn't listening to the show, but he's so loud it doesn't matter. Hey, Benny and Wisco, seriously, bro, in the first grade, were you hooked on phonics or hooked by a bass fisherman? You sound like Mike Tyson hired a speech therapist. Is it take your grandfather to work day? Seriously, the new guy looks so old. This guy hasn't been around electricity since the last time he flew a kite in a thunderstorm. You have Keith Arnold drinking out of that disgusting cup he never washes. And now you have Benedict Arnold sipping ale from a mug made of whale bone. But it's cool because if the Stew Stew studio ever gets chilly in the winter, you can ask Charles Ingalls over there to chop some firewood for the stove. Can you imagine what would happen if one of these cadavers from the days of yore won the smack off, like Carbone or the Cablinasian? They'd go longer in between titles than Rick and Buffalo when he can't afford a used car. Now, I'm not saying that high school teachers don't get paid very well, but I am saying that to save money on laundry, Rick just showers with his clothes on. He slams one Tide Pod over his melon, another one under his armpits, and a third in his mouth for a light snack. And I've always wondered how Adam Hawk has a worse body than me. Bro, I'm walking around with a front porch that's more like a veranda, but you're the one in the chiropractor's office every couple days. You have the voice of a 20-year-old, the hair of a 60-year-old, and the spine of a 100-year-old. We can all see that Keith Arnold looks like Chael Sonnen let himself go, but I would never say that out loud. Caleb versus everybody. I don't want sympathy. I don't want a pity party. Take your best shot, tough guys. I'll see you in my driveway. A couple of my buddies wanted to remind you of something. Hey, Jim Rome. It's Randy and Jason Sklar. And you know what the smack-off is? It's a walrus game. Like I said, I know this guy's got the goods. I know this guy can win. But I believe it starts with finding a much better phone this year. Caleb, when you find that phone, go ahead Give me a call. It's been way too long, dude. I think that I'm going to see you on the 25th, but why don't you go ahead and just remove the guesswork from it completely and let us know. Let us know that you have a good phone this year. Let us know that you're going to be there on the 25th. Let us know that this is the year you finally break through. Hey, listen, are you craving some protein after a good workout? This time, do not make a shake. Don't grab a bar. Instead, reach for a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper. Why Old Trapper? Because Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty, it's tender, it's made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a wood fire. And Old Trapper is a family-owned business. They take their smoked beef extremely seriously. You can taste it in every single bite. Like, who wants dried out, rough, tough beef in a bag? Nobody. It's like eating a shoe. Old Trapper, though, is the real deal. And it comes in four amazing flavors. Old Fashioned. Teriyaki, peppered, hot and spicy. So the next time you want a great protein and energy snack that you can have anytime, anywhere, just grab some old Trapper beef jerky. Look for it in major retail stores near you. If you don't see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what's your beef? Good friend of the program. He is Howard Beck. Brad Stevens moving on to the front office. We saw Coach K retiring at Duke. We got details of Joel Embiid's knee injury. The Knicks being knocked out. Lucas smashing the Clippers. What I'm getting at is how wild a day was that? Um, yeah, pretty wild. And, you know, the Ainge news broke early. And I thought, 
Well, there's the news of the day. And I was doing NBA radio at the time that it happened. We spent the next three hours talking almost nothing but Celtics transitions and what this all meant. Um, little did we know that uh, how much more was in store for the day. Uh, absolutely wild. And, you know, anything that happens with the Celtics, because they're such a storied franchise, and besides that, you know, it's rare to have anybody with the long-term tenure of a Danny Ainge, 18 years, running a team. So the ripples of that and, and just the reverberations around the league are, are pretty profound. And then, yeah, I mean, listen, this has been a already very strange and I don't even know how to describe this first round of playoffs, Jim. It's, it's, the injuries have marred everything. Everything's kind of cloudy. The good news is it, it's added that much more suspense to it, right? Like I, as we sit here right now, late in the first round with some series still being decided, I'm not sure I could confidently tell you who's going to be in the finals. That's probably a good thing. The unfortunate part is part of that is because of injuries. Right. Howard Beck joining us. All right, Howard, so I agree with you on that, and I'm going to bring that up again in a minute. But let's go back to the Celtics. I mean, for years, it seemed like the Celtics were this close to reaching the finals, but there's always something that holds them back. Now they're coming off a season where they get knocked out in the first round. There's a total shakeup in the organization. How would you describe the state of the organization now? You know, there's one view of, of this would be that, hey, look, this is all about stability, right? Um, seamless transition. Brad Stevens was Danny Ainge's guy from the moment he plucked him out of Butler, you know, seven, eight years ago. And there's a natural, you know, just kind of succession plan here. Danny moves on. Brad Stevens takes the role. Keep it in-house. Brad Stevens picks his own successor. I don't actually look at it that way, though. I think that's the impression and the image that they're trying to project. And I think that there is internally, you know, it's always about comfort, right? You know, team owners pick GMs or team presidents that they're comfortable with, and then team presidents and GMs pick coaches that they're comfortable with. So everybody got their comfort yesterday, and I'm sure they feel very good about it internally. I'm not sure this was actually the best way of going about a massive transition in your, in your franchise for the first time in almost two decades. They didn't consider any outside candidates, clearly, by, by definition. Um, so there was no search. They didn't consider whether it's time to view things a different way or adopt a different philosophy. And I'm not saying they should. They had great success under Danny Ainge. People can pick apart all the stuff of the last few years. But on the whole, they've done really well. But I think that this is a moment when you have a guy moving on after 18 years where you should sit back and say, okay, well, let's reevaluate. Do we need a different kind of approach, a different kind of voice? Um, And they didn't give themselves that opportunity. And they elevate Brad Stevens. This is not the same as elevating the longtime assistant coach to head coach or the assistant GM to GM. The GM and the, co- and the uh, coach, or team president in this case, and coach, are very different jobs, requiring very different skill sets and knowledge bases, and both have gotten much more complex in the last 15, 20 years of the NBA. So it's not a natural transition, and it's a risk. You know, Brad Stevens is a really smart and capable coach, and we've seen that. Can he do the same as a, as a team president running basketball ops? That can go any number of directions, right? We saw what happened with Phil Jackson in New York. We saw what happened with Tom Thibodeau taking on the dual role. We saw what happened with, with Stan Van Gundy taking on the dual role. These are not necessarily uh, overlapping positions, nor should they be. And Brad Stevens is not going to do the dual thing, so that's good. But I don't know that you can confidently say that he's the best guy for that job. And let me just end it on this note, Jim, if, if I may. This is a league where there is still – vastly uh, vast disparity in front offices in terms of, of black representation. There are very few black team presidents and GMs and the Celtics didn't even consider it. And there are some good candidates out there. And I, I, I don't think that should go unchecked in all of this. 
I think this is all fair. I think this is all reasonable. And I agree with you. Howard Beck is joining us. All right, Howard, so what about the show that Trey Young put on in the Garden last night? What do you make of how he showed up in the series overall and then how he punctuated and ended that thing last night? The interesting thing about you know high, high draft picks, right, top three, top five usually, the guys who come in and you know there's something special, right? They either jump higher than everybody or they shoot better than everybody. The ones that really catch our eyes in the draft and there's always an excitement, and, but you don't know what they're actually going to evolve into as players. And sometimes it's just that one thing that popped off the page, and that's all they do. And it turns out, eh, good player, not great player, or really good, but not an all-star. Trey Young, I think, has, has now shown definitively, because it happened in the postseason, where I think it, it, it just it matters more. It's more meaningful. He has shown definitively that he is a star. He is absolutely a star, and with, with upside still to come, it's not just his shooting, which has been spectacular, and he's now among the, the handful of guys who, when he goes and, and goes for the deep three, you're just assuming it's going in. Like, he's, he's, he's getting up there with Lillard and Curry in that regard. And his passing was already next level when he got to the league, and we've seen some of that too, and we've seen him find a better balance in his game. And on top of it, and this is the part that I think is just, it's just fun as a basketball fan with no stake in this, the dude's a showman, right? Like, you don't have to like the Hawks or you don't have to you know, hate the Knicks or whatever. You don't have to be involved in this emotionally in any way to just think, wow, that was really fun watching Trey Young take on not just the Knicks but the entire Garden crowd and them chanting profanities at him and all this stuff and then shutting him up that first time, coming back and closing it out there and just, just relishing the spotlight. Like There are a lot of guys who are great, Jim. There are a lot of guys who are really talented. There are a lot of guys who are stars. Not all of them necessarily want that kind of pressure on themselves or take to that moment as as skillfully and as as dramatically as he did so i you know the trey young show like it's just beginning and and that was fun i i can't wait to see more i'm on the exact same page as you in fact i opened up the show today howard with statements that were very similar to that i can't get enough of the guy he's special man he is special he is awesome i think the guy's an incredible player already an incredible showman he wants that moment he wants that big stage i mean i think it's absolutely awesome and it's exactly what the league needs now his performance howard was the opener for luca against the Clippers last night in his 11 playoff games, all of which have come against the Clippers. He's averaging nearly a 32-point triple-double. How do you explain what you're seeing from him, considering he just turned 22 and is playing through all that pain? It's incredible. It's, It's absolutely incredible. And... Look, when the Clippers brought in Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, one of the things that one of the the, um, the best features of that combination, and certainly was one that that I thought immediately was going to make the Clippers a contender, was oh, these are two of the best two way wings in the NBA. These guys they can both score at a high level, they both defend at a high level. You've got two of the best wing defenders in the NBA, and they're playing against Luca and can't do anything with him. And Luca's just just getting wherever he wants, getting whatever he wants injury or no injury, and that's the only thing that seems to have slowed him down a little bit. He doesn't exactly have the greatest supporting cast either. You know, there's no knock on, on the Mavericks roster, but these aren't guys who leap off the page. And, you know, I mean, obviously he needs, you know, he, he's going to need more help. You know, the, the, maybe they get out of this series, but, um, you know, for the next few years, if they want to become contenders, there are upgrades necessary. But in the meantime, Luca can do a whole lot for you, and I I don't know that I've ever seen anything quite like it. I mean, you can compare to 
early LeBron years because he was another guy who, who excelled in all facets of the game, playmaker and scorer. Um, I think about what Kobe was doing at that age, and you know, not the ball wasn't in his hands as much. He didn't have that kind of uh, that kind of latitude, but put up some big numbers. Obviously, you know, won champion, you know, won his second championship in his 22 year old year, but also had Shaq by his side, and, and so you look at it through a little bit different prism. But Luca might be among the best we've ever seen at this early of a stage. Howard Beck, my guest. All right, Howard, finally, what about the Lakers? They've got to win tonight to extend their season. First off, what is your sense as to Anthony Davis's availability? And if he does play, what do you expect he can give them? If there's any chance at all that he can play, like if he can walk, I, I'm going to assume he's playing. You know, this is not a time to, you know, uh, to protect yourself. I mean, you, you look, you do. You want to make sure you don't do anything that's going to screw you up for years to come. You don't want to screw up your career. And so the medical staff will probably have something to say about it too. But I got to think that because this is now, you know, you know, win or go home, like if there's any chance at all that he can get out there and be even remotely effective, 50% of himself, then he's, he's got to be out there. They just don't have much room for error. This was always a top-heavy team. And – you know, from the moment they got Anthony Davis, it was always LeBron, Anthony Davis, and a pretty steep drop-off. We all praised their offseason, picking up Dennis Schroeder, picking up Wes Matthews and the rest of these guys. But it hasn't really solved the problem that if you don't have your, your two stars at the peak of their game and healthy, you're in trouble. And that's where they find themselves. So I, I think this is not to say that Anthony Davis should play if jeopardy to, to his career or his health, but... You know, if there's any chance at all, if the if the doctors will clear him, I expect we'll see him. All right. So really quickly, the supporting cast for that team did nothing, nothing, Howard, in Game Five. So if Davis is not right or can't go, does that mean LeBron has to do everything himself tonight for them to have a chance to win? He's going to have to do a lot, and we've seen him in those situations before, Jim. I mean, we've seen LeBron. You know, the difference between LeBron going into a game knowing it's all on him, which this may be the case versus going into a game and with his normal kind of, I'm going to get my teammates going, I'm all about you know being the facilitator, playmaker, I'll score when I have to. If he goes in with the mindset of, I just need it, I'm going to have to drop a 50-point triple-double, I think he's still capable of that. He's not 100% either right now, which is, is unfortunate, but uh, I think we're going to see a really aggressive version of LeBron if Anthony Davis is not out there. We, we might see it regardless. But yeah, they got to try to manufacture something else, whether it's you know a Schroeder, Montrez, Harold pick and rolls, or, or whatever it may be. Um, there's only so many ways this team can go to create shots, and they don't have a lot of, of individual shot creators. So I, I expect we're going to see a lot of LeBron. You've probably all thought this at one time or another. You know, I'm not going very far. I'm in a rush. It's too uncomfortable. Sometimes I just forget. Hey, listen, do not kid yourself. There is no such thing as a good excuse for not buckling up. If you have used any of these excuses or any others, you are putting yourself at risk of injury or death. In 2019, nearly 10,000 people were unbuckled when they were killed in crashes. That's 43% of people killed in motor vehicle crashes that were not wearing seatbelts. So no matter what kind of a car you drive, wearing your seatbelt is the best defense in a crash. Even when you sit in the back seat, you still need to buckle up. That goes for when you ride in taxis and you use ride-sharing services too. Law enforcement is on the lookout and writing tickets. Why would you take the risk? Seatbelts save lives. Do the smart thing. Buckle up every single trip, day or night. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. Because it was. It was bad. 
Really bad. And worse than just losing a playoff game at home. Worse than losing yet another playoff game at home. Paulo Ugetti of The Ringer tweeted the following, and I quote, No joke. Clippers had a few Staples Center ushers taunting them from the 100 level as they went into the tunnel. End quote. All right, so how bad that bad? Bad enough that their own ushers were taunting them. That was a home game. Their own ushers, their own employees in their own house were clowning them. And you know what? They had every right to. They were right to do that because last night was another disaster for the Clippers. And that's saying something. After Dallas won the first two games of that series, with tremendous shooting from their supporting cast, you knew the Mavs' shooting numbers were bound to slip. And they did. And the Clippers capitalized. And they looked like they were in control in games three and four. The Mavs' shooters reverted to the mean. But then in Game 5, the Clippers reverted to being the Clippers. Now, before I get to that, let me take a moment and celebrate Luka. Luka went off. And I mean went off, even for him. He finished with 42 points, 14 assists, 8 boards, and he did all of that playing in a critical game on the road with an injured neck and shoulder. So one night after Damian Lillard looked like the best player on the planet, Luka jumps into the cage to make an argument for that title as well. He's now been in 11 playoff games in his career and has scored 40-plus in four of those games. And it's not just the productivity or the production. It's the domination. He controls entire games literally all by himself. He scored or assisted on 31 of the Mavs' 37 made buckets, which is just stupidity. He controls the game. He talks junk. He lets you know that he is the best player on the floor. And really, who's going to argue with him at this point? I mean, this guy's out there with a two-time finals MVP and a perennial MVP candidate, and he's so much more impactful than both of them. The Clippers have two of the best defenders in the sport, and there's still not a damn thing they can do to stop this guy. Luka hit four of five shots with Paul George on him. Kawhi Leonard tried to slow him down, and that didn't work either. By the end of the third quarter, he'd already put 40 on eight different Clippers. This is how good this guy is. But even despite that, the Clippers chipped away at the Mavs' double-digit lead in the fourth quarter. They even had it down to one with 39 and a half seconds left. And they forced a Mavs turnover, and then this happened. They can take a lead right here. Up in, off, and Katoom can't get the ball. Picked up by Hardaway. Cradles it like a baby. 8.8 to go. Incredible sequence of events right there. Holy crap. If that does not sum up the Clippers right now, I don't know what does. They had a chance to take the lead, and they melt down. Again, just like they always do when it matters most. I mean, that game was right there. Right there for the taking. And instead, they pretty much just give it away. For reasons that, well, frankly, I can't explain other than to say they're the Clippers. These types of things happen to the Clippers. It's who they are. It's what they do. It's where they live. They could have ripped that thing. And it's almost like they chose not to, right? Like it was a choice. In that moment... It was easier to score than not to score. And yet somehow they managed not to score. And they still had a chance to tie it and send the game into OT. But Kawhi's shot was, well, 
Let's just say he got a shot off. That's about the best thing that could be said about that shot. Here's Kawhi. It's a three. Missed it right there. Defense by Finney Smith. Whistle blows. Foul 4.4. Too quick. Yeah, too quick right here. Great defense. And once again, the unsung hero, I believe, for Dallas, Finney Smith. I mean, contested, got in Kawhi Leonard's space, didn't go for the ball fake, forced him into a tough, off-balance three-point shot. Since we're talking about a two-time NBA Finals MVP, why don't we talk about that final shot? Because that final shot was, hmm, how do I say this? Not good? Not good. Not good at all? Below not good. Kawhi had Dorian Finney-Smith locking him up. And I'm no basketball wizard, but it seems to me Kawhi didn't even set his feet. That did not feel like a superstar in a clutch situation. That felt like some scrub off the bench in a clutch situation. Get the ball, don't set your feet, and just throw it in the general direction of the basket and just hope it goes in. No wonder Rajon Rondo gave him that look that went viral. I know they're not done Not yet, anyway. So I'm not going to throw dirt on them. Not yet, anyway. I just don't want to wait until the end of another implosion to pose this question. And I know it's going to sound like a hot take, and I know it's going to sound sacrilegious, but I think it's a legitimate question. Do Kawhi Leonard and Paul George fit together as teammates? Do they work together as teammates? Does it work? Like, I know it sounds crazy. I can't believe I'm even saying this, but if they lose that series, do you have to ask yourself, hey, man, is this the right thing? Or should we break these two up? Because right now I'm pretty clear that they're not making the guys around them better. Right now, they're not even making each other better. And they sure as hell don't show up when the team needs it most from both of them. You know, nothing ever lives up to the hype, right? Well, especially these two dudes together here in L.A., I don't know that I've ever seen a team able to blow leads the way this version of the Clippers can blow leads. They had a six-point lead midway through the third, and then they gave up a 25-5 run and trailed by 14 heading into the fourth. You know, crap like that. They averaged nearly a turnover per minute in the final seven minutes of the third. Like, how does that happen? How is that even mathematically possible? What I'm saying is Choke City makes Lob City seem clutch. And it's not like the Lob City guys were the mid-90s Bulls when it came to closing out a series. If you've got two MVP candidates on the same roster, you should not be choking away 3-1 series leads. You should not be on the verge of getting eliminated in the first round. Not when you're a bona fide championship contender. You know, I don't know. Maybe Kawhi isn't exactly who we thought he was. Maybe he's not the guy that he was when the Raptors won it all. Maybe he's not the guy who just shows up in your town and guarantees you win an NBA championship. Maybe this guy actually needs somebody like Kyle Lowry to make him better. Because the fact is right now, Kawhi is not making guys around him better, nor more confident. Ty Lue, the coach, He's charged with keeping this thing together. He says, we're good. We're confident. It's fine. Um, I think we're fine. You know, uh, we'll see in two days. But like I said, you know, everybody talked about, you know, locker room, you know, we're good. Yeah, I don't know about that. Like, I like Ty. 
and he sure as hell knows a lot more about his team than I would ever know. But from where I'm sitting, things don't seem like they're fine at all. Your crew does not seem like it's good either. Not when you blow one golden opportunity after another, and not when your own ushers are clowning you. Now you've got to go on the road again to keep your season alive again. And even if you do that, even if you win game six and you force a game seven, you're still not fine and you're still not good. Because there are always these fundamental problems with this crew that show up at the worst times imaginable on the biggest stage, and it happens all the time. But, but, turn up, love you guys, awesome. Turn up, love you guys, awesome. One, two, three, Cancun. And frankly, Dorian Finney-Smith, my man, defended the bleep out of that possession. I'm shooting the, you know, the, the side of the ball in the gym. And Rondo. Man, you think Rondo was upset after that Kawhi shot? Pandemic had to be like, pass the damn ball. I would have at least hit the side of the backboard. George, way off. It's the side of the backboard. <laughs> Playoff P's got to like be, hey man, at least I hit something. At least I hit the side of the backboard. Dietrich, Wise Jr. is my guest, Dietrich. Good to have you back. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. How you doing today, Jim? Good, good, dude. So you and I got caught up back in September after you had your first career TD against the Raiders. So it's been a minute or so. Bring me up to date. What has the offseason been like for you personally? You know, it's just been a, pretty much just a bunch of uh, getting ready for the season. Um, a lot of uh, working out, staying in shape, staying conditioned, and just having fun with the teammates. Well, there was also, in addition to that, that whole free agent thing. So you end up signing a four-year deal with the Patriots. I'm curious, how did you approach free agency? Did you try to enjoy it, or basically was it pretty nerve-wracking? You know, I enjoyed the whole process. It was very new to me, so I kind of just um, just was waiting and, and listening to all the calls and stuff. And uh, when it came down down to it, I chose the Patriots, and I'm happy. I'm happy about. About that decision. Right, so what about that? Like, I'm sure you had options. When it came down to it, you did choose them. When you came down to it, why did you choose them? Why did you know or think that was the place for you to be? You know, it's the, it's the atmosphere here, the uh, culture here, just the m- mindset that everybody has to win, um, have fun, um, and just a, a family atmosphere that we all create just from the top bottom. So that's kind of how that is. Dietrich Wise Jr. is joining us. Hey, listen, I mean, it is about winning. You want to win no matter what. The team went 7-9 and nine last year, which, of course, is very unpatriots-like. It would have been understandable, for instance, if you said, this is a team that's now in transition. I want to go to a team that's ready to win right now. But I get the sense you still have a lot of confidence in the direction this team is going and in this season. What have you seen that lets you know that this team can win and win big now? You know, it's uh, the leadership we have on this team. Uh, guys like Matthew Slater, uh, Devin McCourty, Lawrence Guy, myself, we all um, just pretty much just come, come together. Uh, all the newcomers are, are coming in, te- teaching them the Patriot way. Um, and every day we kind of just have fun with what we're doing, you know, learning the plays and just getting out there and, and learning our teammates. 
Dietrich Wise Jr., my guest. You know, when you mentioned leadership, based on the conversations you and I have had in the past, I know that you're always going to show up and you're always going to put in the work, but you've already completed four NFL seasons. You signed that big contract, so do you feel like your role changes as part of that? Like, you're no longer one of the young guys. You are now one of the leaders on that defense, and guys are looking to you. Does it feel that way? Yes, in a sense, I'm no longer uh, the rookie or the young guy. As you mentioned, I, I'm now going into year five, so I definitely have a lot to offer, uh, a lot of knowledge uh, to give to the guys who have, have came in after me who are just not coming in, you know. So it's, I kind of um, use my knowledge and, and experience to kind of share uh, to all the guys who have gone through similar things that I have gone through. We talked about last season. One of the things that made last season so challenging and so different was the lack of fans. What was it like to go through a season without them, and then how eager are you to get them back? Oh, man, I'm definitely excited to have fans back. It's, it's going to be exciting to have them uh, yelling for touchdowns, screaming for first downs, just to have some uh, noise in the field. It's going to be great. Last year was kind of a challenge, uh, running out of the, of the tunnel into empty stadium. It was kind of uh, awkward at first, but it, was, it kind of got – you know, used to it towards the season went on. But definitely excited to have them back. You know, they, they definitely can make a game, you know, uh, with their screens and morale and everything. They can definitely t- t- turn the tide of, of any game. Dietrich Wise Jr., my guest. You know, we talked about the defense. The thing you didn't have last year in part, Dante Hightower, for those who do not know, what does he bring to a defense? And then how do you expect him to come back, bounce back and come back this year? Well, you know, he brings his leadership and experience. Uh, he's been in the league for multiple years. Uh, he's, he's definitely a voice on this team. So when he comes back, we're definitely excited to have him back and have his playing style and his leadership. Yeah, the team was so active in free agency, not only with you, but with some others. They re-signed some key players. They bring in some new talent. One of the new additions is your former Arkansas teammate, Hunter Henry. What's he bring to the team and to the offense? Well, you know, Hunter is, a very smart uh, player, uh, definitely reliable, and that's definitely what uh, the Patriots look for, smart and reliable for players. Uh, he has great hands, so looking forward to uh, playing with him this year again. Uh, so they're all definitely excited when they, when they brought him to the Patriots. Really good player. As long as we're on the offense, let me yes, ask you also is. about the fact that Cam Newton arrived during the middle of a pandemic and was named the starter and became a captain in a short period of time. I was very personally impressed with all of that. What does that say about him as a player and a leader that he could step in and accept that role in the middle of a pandemic? You know, he's just doing what Cam does. Cam is a, is a great player, super hard worker, very intelligent. The way he breaks down defenses and understands the intricacies of our offense. Um, now that he has two years under his belt here, I'm definitely looking forward to him to, to shine, as I know he always is. And, of course, the team drafted Mac Jones in the first round. You know that when a team uses a first-round pick on a quarterback, they're going to want to see what he can do at some point, and that could, in fact, start a quarterback controversy. As a team, how do you go about dealing with that? You know, all player personnel stuff goes through Bill, so whatever he decides, we're going to roll with it. What, dude, he's not going to check with you? He's not going to ask your opinion? <laughs> no, he's, he's, not he's not going to ask you to make that choice? <laughs> no, he's not. <laughs> You know what I wonder, like, for instance, as long as we're talking about quarterbacks, I'm curious, what was it like to see your longtime quarterback, Tom Brady, win a Super Bowl? Was that bittersweet? Were you happy for him? Were you pulling for him? How did you approach that? You know, I'm I'm excited for Tom. I'm definitely excited for his accomplishments, just like everybody asking what do I feel about him leaving. Anybody who leaves the Patriots, I definitely wish them much success. 
So it's just his time. I wish him much success in the future. And I, I hope he, I pray he continues to have his success. You know, it's cool. When they leave, it's cool when they come back. And he will in week four. I know, one day at a time, one thing at a time, one workout at a time, on and on, blah, blah, blah. But how much are you looking forward to that game? And then what kind of reception do you think he'll get from the Patriot fans? You know, I don't know uh, what type of reception he'll get from from the fans. Uh, I'm not them, but um, it's definitely going to be interesting to see what, what all transpired during that game. Just like you said, we're taking one game at a time, one week at a time, and when that time, time comes, we'll definitely be ready to play. You know what we're doing, man? We're doing one question at a time. That's how we're going to do this thing. One question at a time. So I mentioned at the very top, you're hosting the Wise Big Man Camp at the facility in Carrollton, Texas on June Mm -hmm. 26th. Am I correct in thinking that you've got dudes like Miles Garrett, Taco Charlton, and a number of other pros who are going to be at that camp as well? How is that setting up? You know, it's going well so far. We're we're getting everything situated. Man, this camp is strictly for the kids, uh, between the grades of 7th through, through 12th grade, we're going to teach fundamentals and techniques uh, from pros who play at multiple levels, at the highest levels. Like you your already named two. we got Dustin State and L.A. Waddle, uh, uh, L.J. Collier and my two brothers, Daniel Simon Wise, myself, and many more coaches to come uh, who coach around these techniques, fundamentals, and also the mindset of uh, playing football on and off the field. And, you know, we're going to just uh, have – the big man uh, offense and, and defensive line, we're going to go through, you know, the uh, the run, the pass skill, and we're going to have a great time. It's going to be high and energetic. There's going to be food there. Uh, definitely thankful for our, our sponsors, uh, PSE, uh, um, BSN, and, uh, um, you know, Whataburger. Definitely thank you, for, thank you for them, and it's going to be awesome. Good for you. You know, you mentioned mindset. I'm kind of curious. Like, I've got a teenage son. And he plays high school baseball. We talk mindset. Different world now, right? Different world, lots of distractions. Like, when you work with these kids now, how is their mindset compared to, for instance, your mindset when you were coming up? Is it pretty similar or is it different? Similar to an extent. Uh, I never had to face COVID, so I know that's something that's that's probably on their minds. Um, I know a lot of kids want to go to the next level, whether it's college or pro or uh, whatever it is. I know that's on their minds. Schools. On, is on every kid's mind, and then also being ready and prepared to play. And we have 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 uh, this coach named Coach Craig. He has he he owns this this program called CCK. That's his initials. And what he's going to help out is pretty much just having teaching the guys and helping the guys uh, develop the mindset, a successful mindset. Because if you can have successful thoughts, then you can portray successful actions. And and just being able to 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 balance school life, balance football life, and then balance your personal life. And I know every kid, every person has their own different different uh, lives they have to balance, but that's something that, that we're going to definitely emphasize this year with everything that's going on in the world. Now we're getting somewhere. Thoughts dictate actions. Actions definitely. dictate results. One final thought. You mentioned Miles Garrett. Like, I'm curious. When you watch, I mean, this guy is incredible to me. When you watch him play, what do you think? What makes him special? And then what do you think or want the campus to learn from him? Well, you know, he's definitely a big-name player. Uh, he is a super hard worker, as you can tell if you ever watch his videos. He's always working always improving his skill and um, I'm, I'm actually eager myself to, to learn what to learn what Miles Garrett has to offer and share but I know it's going to be along the lines of hard work 
dedication and, and having that successful mindset. He is a Patriots defensive end. He is a Super Bowl champion already. Gets a new contract with the Pats. He's got his camp coming up. The big man camp on June 26th. Dietrich, Wise Jr., my guest. Dietrich, great to get caught up, man. Have a great time at the camp. And hopefully you and I can chop it up again soon. More definitely, man. Thank you again for having me. Good night now!